Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast all about video games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Red Leicester, Stilton or French Brie. And my adulthood friend, Minty Boo. The fine fellow prophesied to come to this dimension. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Hello, listeners. We'd like to draw your attention to our social media channels, if you please. You can find us on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, and you can find all of our amazing video content there. There's streaming content, such as myself playing through Sea of Thieves, Chris trying to beat my Super Mario Maker 2 Super World. There's some videos that Chris has produced all about the history of video games, including one that's with a new installment coming very soon. Oh, it is. We have an Instagram channel at O3C Podcast. You can find our videos on there as well. And we also have a Patreon page. If you're really enjoying what we're doing, then we would love it if you popped over there had a little look at some of the perks you could get for exchanging some pounds of pleasury our way. Such things as exclusive deleted scenes, full bonus episodes, custom artwork, access to the Hour 3 Cents Discord channel. It's a doozy. Check it out. So this week we have our 16th favourite video games of all time. Sweet 16! But before we do that, it's time to return to the quiz okay come on minty yeah i'm trying <laughs> <laughs> so after after a big old double pointed victory last week chris is now three points ahead of minty again let's see what happens the original xbox was released in what year oh ugh, 2001 that is correct Wait, is oh. it really? with the correct answer Fuck. yes oh uh, yeah uh, congratulations minty <sighs> two points behind so, what have we been playing this week? I'm going to start off this week. Why not? Because I haven't had a hugely uh, productive week in terms of video gaming, because I've had a hugely productive week in terms of working. But I have been cracking on with Hades, which is absolutely superb. The lore is just wonderful. Succulent. Action is amazing. Oh, it's just, yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough. Just a brilliant, brilliant roguelike. So good. Really good fun. As I think I alluded to it a couple of weeks ago, I've picked up Pokemon Go again, which has been really good fun. Yes. Uh, there was a uh, Charmander community day yesterday, and I managed to get myself a, a nice shiny Charmander that's now a nice shiny Charizard. And something that's been added into the game since the last time I played it is Mega Revolution. So I've got like Charizard Mega Candy that I can give to my Charizard if I want it to become mega for I think eight hours and then it's more powerful in battle and, and stuff like that. A big so that's boy. quite cool. One of the big boys. It's quite nice seeing the additions that um, Niantic have added in to compensate for people going out less during lockdown, which is, is really, really nice to see. So you get access to remote raid passes. You can just go on the map and see you know where the nearest raid is that's happening to you and you can participate in it even if you're not going physically there which is really really nice and there's always a team rocket balloon uh hot air balloon that's flying around uh the map as well i think it's like two or three times a day it'll appear so you can battle team rocket even if you can't go to one of the team rocket occupied pokestops which is really nice to see i mean i, I have been going out because i'm taking our dog out for lots of walks 
How about you guys? Minty, what have you played this last week? Let me have a look for you. I'm still chugging along with Xenoblade. Oh, lovely. Yes, I, I'm on I'm on the Maconis, finally. Oh, which yeah. Is, uh, as soon as I uh, level up a bit in there, I'm going to turn straight back around and do all the side quests that become locked after you progress after a certain point in the story. Chris, how about you? What have you played this week? I have played a bit more Book of Demons. I have played a bit more Mario 64. But the two games I've actually played more extensively this week are both games I had kind of assumed I was done with, that I wasn't going to go back to. So I've spent Hmm. a a few hours playing uh, the minimalist platformer Love that I got really into at the beginning of the year. Oh, yes. I really love it. I love Love. Uh, (laughs) I found it in my Steam library, already in there from like I bought it in about 2012, it looks like, a long, long time ago. But having it on on the computer, again, the short length of it means that it's another game that fits perfectly around doing other work at the computer. Yeah. So I've I've basically thought, okay, well, so let's see if I can get decent at it again. I've improved my skills enough to, to get back to an A++, the highest rank for kind of running through the game. I unlocked the achievement for, for like speed running the game and beating it in just over 10 minutes. And, and now I'm trying, not not with real success yet, but to, to beat it in a single life. That's the last achievement I've not got. There's only 16 stages. I can do the first eight without without taking a hit, but then it starts to fall apart. But it, it does have the ability to kind of practice any level. So I'm sort of spending a bit of time here and there just grinding away to see if I can find a strategy that works in the places that I'm, I'm losing lives. So I, I feel like it is an achievable goal for me. It just might take a few evenings here and there. So yeah, I'll I'll keep you posted if I manage to do that at any, any point. I reckon you can do it. Secondly, the other game I, I found in my library and then installed was Submerged that I've mentioned a few times on, on this podcast. Oh, yes. It's a game I've, I've now beaten 100% on the PS4 many years ago. Uh, I beat it on the Switch late last year. Uh, and now, obviously, like I said, I've, I've started this PC version that looks significantly nicer than the console versions. Mm. Like the, the core of it is unchanged, but that's enough almost to make me want to go through it again because I think it's a really pretty game anyway. The higher resolution, everything just being a bit softer and the lighting is nicer and it's... I don't know, it just makes it somewhere I want to go back to and, and kind of re-experience that place. I, I talked about Submerged at length a while ago in a Patreon-exclusive episode on, on architecture in games. So if people want to pay a few pennies, they, they can have access to that. But at its heart, it's it's just an exploratory game of, of simple environmental puzzles and sort of wordless storytelling. And I've always been surprised that it's got quite a lukewarm reception online. And, and yet the more I've played it, every time I boot it up, I think that I've really done it a real injustice to not include it on my list I, th- I think it should have been in there and i just kind of forgot it existed when we did the top 100 yeah <laughs> so it's it's one of those ones that I, I feel like i should give an apology to uppercut games who made it because it's it's really good and and i think it would rank pretty highly for me that you know i keep coming back to a game i've beaten entirely and you can't really give something much more praise than that can you no so yeah really good game people should try it out it's a couple quid on most storefronts see what you think maybe it will float your boat Hopefully, otherwise you'll be sunk, submerged. Cut, Chris, come on! Hey! Oh, <laughs> fuck! God. <laughs> so, shall we move on to the rankings? Yeah. Oh, go on then. Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Chris, can you please tell us about your sixteenth favorite video game of all time? I really love Picross games. Oh. I started Murder by Numbers recently. I know you you played it quite a few months ago. Great game. And as much as I really liked the set dressing of it, and I, I liked kind of the the setting and, and the mix of like the Phoenix Wright style visual novel stuff, yeah. I just wanted more Picross. <laughs> <laughs> so I've kind of I've put it down because I just wanted a game to play more puzzles. Yeah. 
and and when you're kind of engrossed in like a story section there's there's big gaps before you get back to those i mean over the years i've i've played a lot of picross but i think my love for for picross as a game is is something much wider and it's just a love for logic puzzles like going right back i i loved games like minesweeper back on my my first computer more recently like i enjoyed minesweeper genius when when you you both recommended oh, that, that on the switch yeah, brilliant oh, yeah. i just remember minesweeper genius on on the PC, I've really loved logic games like Hexels and oh, Hexalogic. Well. If you played either of those, they're they're really fun. And I think what I enjoy is is they usually have a very simple rule set that you learn how to exploit and you learn how to kind of work with to to solve you know incrementally harder puzzles. And they're just really addictive. All these games are really addictive. But what makes something like Picross as as a game stand out from all these is the reward you get at the end of a puzzle. And and you alluded to that, Jonathan, when you talked about Picross 3D yeah. about two years ago on this show, like having something at the end that's like, oh, I've I've made this thing, and it's like a, a collectible thing, exhausted hobbyist. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's either a picture, or in the, in the case of Picross 3D, an object. It changes it from being, oh, you've done the puzzle and that's it, to being, well, I'm actually making and curating a collection, which is really really nice. So you know, in Picross games or, or other games like this that have a visual outcome. It might be an image of a dog, or it might be a man waving in a little three-frame animation, or it might be an apple with a, a worm sticking out of it, yeah. or a kid skateboarding, or you know any of these things. And it just makes it a more fun experience for me. The best game I've played in striking the balance between having hundreds of logic puzzles that are really satisfying, as well as lovely panels of pixel art, is actually not a Picross game at all. Uh, <laughs> for, for this kind of long, long-winded intro, it's, it's a DS release that I read about on Eurogamer about a million years ago, it feels like now, and then I stumbled upon a copy of it in a branch of game on a holiday in Devon a number of years ago now. It was just a totally unassuming title buried in the second-hand section in like the, the two for £20 range. So my 16th favourite video game of all time was purchased in a combo deal alongside the truly horrible port of Diddy Kong Racing on the DS <laughs> for essentially £10 sterling. It is a throwaway title that was bought and loved by precisely no one. <laughs> and it's it's the puzzle game called Pick Pick for the DS. Well Silence. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've heard I've heard of Dick Picks on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so in this game, every picture you unlock is a big penis. <laughs> no, I mean Pick Pick is is a game. It was it was picked up by the budget publisher 505 Games. It basically was a nothing release in Japan. It was localized and then became a similarly nothing release across Europe as well. Like I said, it's totally unassuming. It's got an innocuous title. It's got box art that gives nothing away. And if I hadn't read about it previously online, I would never have picked it up. But when you stick it in the DS, you'll find that this is a beautifully effective time killer, like like Picross games are, like all these kind of like picture-based logic puzzles are. And, and assuming that 505 Games probably didn't see much commercial success in moving this title to the West at all, I, I like to think instead that it was maybe the work of, of one executive at the publishing house who had maybe got sent to Japan on sort of a fact-finding jaunt to try and find games to bring over, found this game in, in a, like a bargain bin in Japan, and then took the magnanimous decision to just demand it be picked up because he enjoyed it so much. Like, I, I have sort of have a picture in my head of this person sitting at home, relaxing in a chair, like maybe they're retired at this stage, but <laughs> safe in the knowledge that the few people that found Pickpick nestled in bargain bins would have that same swell of appreciation that they did maybe when they were 
picking away at a puzzle riding the bullet train or hunched over their DS in a cafe in Shibuya, just, you know, stabbing at the touchscreen over a coffee. It's just, it's a really wistful game. I really like thinking about it like that. Pickpick has three different puzzle modes in it. Each of them has 400 puzzles. So there are 1,200 puzzles to solve in this game. That's, that's a number. One is called Maze Paint, and it very simply just asks that you draw a continuous line from point A to point B, and then the tangle will eventually materialize into a, a colored image. Love it. The second mode called Drawing, asks you to join numbered sections together, which is basically the inspiration for Flow, if you've played that on a mobile device. And Path Picks, the series that I got obsessed with for a while. There you go. Almost identical. The challenge is then how to satisfy each pair of numbers without allowing your lines to intersect. And the third mode, the one I enjoyed the most that I I would come back to if I wanted to just play a few, is called Magipick. And it basically you're given a square ruled page filled with numbers, and each one corresponds to how many of the 3x3 grid that surrounds it is coloured in black probably the closest mode to sort of Minesweeper logic. Yeah. But I really, really love when you're kind of stuck for a long time and then suddenly you find that kind of linchpin that means you you have this whole chain of discovery that ends up resolving the entire puzzle. It's just, it's such a, a satisfying process. Any of these three modes in isolation would be really good puzzle experiences. Like using logic to work out how to beat a puzzle is just inherently fun if, if you enjoy this sort of stuff. But the fact that they exist together in this this single I keep saying unassuming, but it's the best word for it. (laughs) Package is a really wonderful thing. You've just got these 1,200 gorgeous puzzles. Everyone has a lovely pixel art outcome. It's just a dreamy package. I think this this is on the list for me as as a stand-in for all digital logic games. For a long time when we were first putting the list together, I had the original Mario's Picross here because I I do feel like Picross is, is a very pure distillation of why like a pen and paper logic puzzle works so well in a video game. Because you have that idea of, you know, unlocking something a bit more tangible at the end of it. It's not just something you chuck in the bin when you've solved it. But Pick Pick, I wanted to to give a nod to because it's such a hidden gem. And it's taken up so much of my time that I felt it really earned a place. I've beaten the 1200 puzzles in this game two and a half times over wow. since I originally bought that cartridge. It's, it's got three save slots, the classic Jonathan Dunn, Mario 64 <laughs> and the DS. <laughs> so I basically just, I finish one, I start a new one and then I start picking through it again. And whenever I take my 3DS anywhere, Pick Pick is in the case. Whether or not I'm going to play it or not, it's always there as an option. And, you know, it may not get its time in the sun on that particular journey, but there will equally be a time when that's the perfect thing to kill 10 minutes before I have to be somewhere or 20 minutes on a train or or whatever. I think games like Pick Pick and games like any of the Picross series bring me great joy because they, they understand, like I've mentioned, the biggest difference between, say, a Sudoku puzzle in a broadsheet And a puzzle in a game is in that resolution of having something that you see and get at the end of it. So both occupy your time and both stimulate a certain part of your brain that enjoys kind of solving, solving things. But one is played out in kind of smudged and smeared biro scribbles. And the other feeds into this wider goal of like building and curating a collection like the Picross 3D thing. And the complexity of the images you unlock is then scaling with with your skill and ability and solving bigger puzzles no one keeps completed puzzles from a paper. No one had, very few people, I imagine, would have a, a big binder on their desk of their favorite Sudokus they've solved. <laughs> Even if you buy like a puzzle book that's like a, a costs you a few quid, when it's done, it's done. There's, there's no additional purpose to keep that. It just goes in the recycling with everything else. But with games, they're, they're different because, you know, you're, you're putting together this library of stuff that you can just flick through casually and peruse anytime. And, I think the other reason this this particular game appeals to me so much as representing these these sorts of games is because it's on the DS. And 
there's there's a real yearning to resolve these puzzles that when when you are solving them they they are gradually appearing on the top screen like every small bit you pick away at these puzzles is then immediately visible above and that's the reason why having those two screens i enjoy playing games like this on the ds or the 3ds so much more than than any other format like on the ipad there's a whole series of puzzle games by a company called conceptus and there are basically puzzle types that represent all the things that are in PicPic. All three of these modes they have separate applications for on the iPad, but they don't feel as good because of how they're presented, that you you can't see what you're doing until you're done, essentially. And also because having a stylus is so much nicer to control these games with. Oh, God, yeah. It's a real shame. Like, as much as I've loved the Picross games on the Switch, uh, and I still pick those up when the, when the Jupiter releases come round, they're not as fun as the the same versions on the 3DS. It just it doesn't feel as tactile, and and that's a big big thing for me. Like using your finger to stab at the touch screen or using the Joy Cons to control it just isn't the same, and that's why I think Pick Pick was like it's a right place, right format, right fit release uh, that that's just remained the king for me. It's it's not a perfect game, like the the music in the game is really repetitive and annoying, but you can just turn it off. It's the game <laughs> that you're probably going to be playing whilst doing something else anyway. So just switch it off. The menus and the interface, it's all pretty dull in its functionality. It, I mean, it, it works to let you see what you've what you've drawn and, and the outcomes you've made. But it's, it's nothing special. It's not like, oh, I love being in this kind of like library of, of all my creations. It's just very functional. But I think Pick Pick is an example of a game where the, the core of it is so addictive that the experience of just playing these puzzles, like solving them and, and being rewarded, just outweighs any niggles. I, I think... For a game that no one ever played, it's absolutely essential. Like, it's as good a digital puzzle game as I've ever played. An absolute hidden gem. Like, one of those terms that gets overused massively on kind of, like, YouTube channels of people digging up things that, oh, you might not have heard about this on the Sega Saturn, and then giving you something that everybody owned. But this is genuinely something that no one seems to know exists, and and I want them to. And I want everyone to now have a real rush on eBay, (laughs) trying to find copies of PickPick and... uh, I can be directly, you know, attributed for that that newfound success of this lovely, lovely game. My sixteenth favourite of all time is is the DS puzzle game Pick Pick. Thank you for that, Chris. That is six pounds seventy four. I will not be getting back from eBay if if you're <laughs> wrong about that game. I'm not. Moving on though, we have Minty's game. Minty, can you please tell us about your sixteenth favourite video game of all time? I remember when people were getting excited over New Super Mario Brothers, the glorious return to 2D Mario platforming. But I've got to be honest, I wasn't terribly fussed over it. Um, we, we, we know this as it hasn't appeared on my list. Um, it, it won't either. <laughs> so to my young mind, outside of the multiplayer, it didn't necessarily reinvent the wheel. And during a time when the Wii was just around the corner and the Nintendo was starting to really lean into, um, let's say, alternative controls and innovative design a 2d platformer with 3d models just seemed okay i think if it was the n64 launch title instead of mario 64 i probably would have remembered it a bit more fondly but to foolish teenage minty going back to two dimensions felt like that a step backwards it's interesting how moving to 3d has always seemed to go hand in hand with a leap in quality in the public eye as the push for uh, smoother textures and more polygons dominates console development discourse and gets people frothing at e3 i think i'm on record for saying that 3d graphics happened too quickly yes and many n64 and ps1 era games sacrificed uh, being good for being 3d 
I'm just so uninterested in playing the current year's realistic shooter. Like, if I wanted a really immersive killing people with reckless abandon experience, I'd join the police. Looking back over my list, I've got a lot of games that forego realism for stylistic graphics. Um, Wind Waker is cel-shaded and absolutely timeless. Breath of the Wild tones and models are pillow soft and really wonderful to look at, and they will be good to look at for years and years to come. Golf Story and Shovel Knight mix old school graphics with the leaps and bounds made in game development to create games that give a fuzzy feeling of nostalgia whilst not playing like trying to get peanut butter off the roof of your mouth anymore. <laughs> Rakuga Kids is uh, about a group of kids that find magic crayons and everything is drawn in that style, and it's great. Today's game carries on that tradition of uh, stylized graphics and also stands for me as the pinnacle of modern 2D platforming. A game that takes all the established elements of a really great game and goes even further. It's got solid platforming, it's got a varied moveset that brings a solid puzzle solving twist, well written characters, lots of different enemies and stages. Uh, gentle environmental messages, a trip to literal hell, a level where an entire dimension is destroyed and you are completely powerless to stop it. Speaking of dimensions, though, I'm not being entirely truthful when I say it's a 2D platformer. A core game mechanic is being able to flip between 2D and 3D planes. Uh, so you, know, you, you, you might reach a dead end, well, flip into 3D and aha, there's a narrow path that's appeared on the left that'll take you past this wall or chasm. Getting to the right side of a stage has never been as varied or as fun as it is in this game. Uh, one level might have you overthrowing a, a tyrannical witch who has enslaved you and several others after you accidentally uh, break her vase, condemning you to a lifetime of trying to earn enough money to pay off your debt by running in a big hamster wheel. <laughs> one level has you flying around in the vast expanse of the cosmos as you try to reunite a little alien with his mum on the way making sure that he has enough snacks and toilet trips. And then you would need to uh, beat an entire army of 100 pedigree fighters in a 1v1 tournament. The list goes on. Not only does the game build on a solid foundation with regards to genre, but also the legacy of the series it's a part of. Your party consists of characters from many previous games, friend and foe alike, each with their strengths, weaknesses and unique abilities that not only open the way forward in terms of reaching your goal, also provide access to previously mysterious obstacles. It's backtracking done right. It's not all just jumping and doing things to progress through the game and that's it though. There is a story and it's my favourite kind of story. It's a redemption story. <laughs> uh, the villain of the game creates this artifact that will destroy all the worlds and all the universes because of his burning anger at being separated from his one true love. As the story progresses, we see glimpses of remorse, glimmers of goodness, and lovely little facets of humanity that really elevate this villain right up until the end of the game, where, following his defeat, he does indeed redeem himself in quite a satisfying twist ending. And that's all I'm going to say about that, because um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who decides to start playing it. And to wrap things up, there's, uh, there's collectibles, there's hidden treasure, there's a couple of those sort of trial dungeons where you have to beat wave after wave of enemies on each floor for prestige, XP, and fun items. It's the whole package, but it's gone criminally overlooked because instead of being the next-gen copy-and-paste continuation of a newly beloved series, Super Paper Mario took <laughs> things in another direction. Hey. It's a beautiful, involving, and engaging game that's sleek, fun to play with, and incredibly rewarding. I think it's the best platformer that's been made this millennium. That is high 
pros. <laughs> yeah, mm. Yes, it really is. <laughs> it really, really is. It's a game that I always wanted to play, and I never have. And that is the end of my tale. I did not know that this was primarily a platform game. Oh, yeah. Because this this series has kind of gone all over the place, hasn't it, in terms of core genre, I suppose, that it's, it's based yeah, on. Yeah, it's been... It started out as a isometric on the SNES, and then it sort of became 3D, went back to 2D, and then became shit on the DS. <laughs> <laughs> Sticker star! Oh, do you know what? <laughs> I get more mileage out of that joke than I did out of the game itself. Yeah. I wonder what the best way of playing that now is. Dolphin emulator? Yeah, 100%. Most likely, yeah. What are the motion controls like in it? Uh, so you hold the Wiimote... Uh, sideways like an nes controller and sometimes you can point at the screen to get some information about a door or solve a puzzle or maybe tilt the controller or shake it to activate an item and that's it i think i would say for you jonathan you should look into you can get usb sensor bars and just use a Wiimote. I don't have a Wiimote. No, I mean, you can you can get one. <laughs> I mean, because there's been a few times when we've mentioned Wii games, and in terms of giving you the best experience, if there's got to be guides online that break it all down. Yeah, there must be. But Dolphin is is definitely the way to go if if you've got the the few extra bits of hardware to make it nicer. I think. Yeah, just use two candles. Yeah, that works. Well, there we go. So, lastly, it's me. Hello. Oh, do you remember Jonathan? <laughs> Yeah, let's turn our desks around and listen to him. There are a lot of genres that I'd written off before Nintendo got their hands on them. I said before that until I played Mario Kart, I never really massively enjoyed racing games. I never liked online shooters until Splatoon came along. And I never got my head around fighting games until I got my 16th favourite video game. It's Super Smash Bros. Melee. Hey, it's a good game. Now, I think even though Chris technically had Smash 4 on your list... yeah. I think this still counts as Smash Brothers being our three cents approved. Yeah, it right? must do. Got to. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Good. I definitely agree with a lot of what Chris said when you were talking about that game, that the versions of Smash have got better as they've gone on, certainly in terms of technical capability and variety, and they've continued to refine the formula just to the nth degree. But then again, there's, there's a reason why they've included GameCube controller support for every Smash game since Melee, because that's the reference point. Anything they've added to the game has, hasn't made the game worse, but, but it hasn't made it significantly better to play really yeah. than it was before. And the GameCube controller, which is, is already a phenomenal control pad, has, has never been more suited to a game. In fact, rarely is there ever a control pad that is as suited to a game than the GameCube controller is to Smash. Like you don't get people saying, oh, I've just managed to rig up my PlayStation 1 pad to play Metal Gear Solid 5 because it just feels better. <laughs> it just doesn't, doesn't happen. <laughs> There was something about the time in my life when I was playing Melee that, that never got equaled by when I was playing Smash on 3DS and on Wii U. And Ultimate, we know, came out after we'd drawn a line under our list. So, you know, I'll reserve my thoughts on that. But when I got Melee, that this was the same time I was playing Super Monkey Ball, Super Mario Sunshine, bits of Time Splitters 2, and my friendship slash rivalry with my friend Alec at the time saw our competition spill over from Monkey Ball and into Smash Brothers. But... I don't have any recollection of actually playing him at it. <laughs> like, like we never did any actual fights against each other. Instead, we just got obsessed with trying to complete the trophy collection in the game. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I'm sure comes as no surprise to you. So there were 290 trophies to get in the game. And pretty much all of them had very specific criteria needed to unlock them. And there were 
two in particular that me and Alec were racing each other to get. Crazy Hand and Diskin. Now, the trophy for Crazy Hand, which is one of the final bosses in the game, you got that by beating Adventure Mode on Hard. And this was Hard. <laughs> and there were several stages in Adventure Mode that seemed to undo us every time. Stage 11 was the Fighting Wireframes battle, where you had to beat 15 Fighting Wireframes in reduced gravity. Not an incredibly hard thing to do in isolation, but so, so easy to just to very quickly lose track of your placement, rack up a huge amount of damage very quickly. But but this wasn't the hardest part of this stage, because as soon as you defeat the 15th wireframe, the Metal Mario Brothers turn up, Mario and Luigi in heavy metal form. Significantly harder to knock off the stage because of their, their you know, increased weight. And again, very easy to just to accidentally kamikaze yourself, trying to take them out by getting them as far away from the stage as possible, because they'd find it if they were far enough away from the stage, then they, because of their increased weight, they wouldn't be able to, well, it's not increased weight because it changes gravity, it's because they're increased gravity, then they can't necessarily make it back to the, the stage like a normal fighter would. But in order to get them out far enough, then you might end up taking them too far and not be able to make it back yourself. And that, and that was, yeah, that was hard. And then there were the, the final boss fights. And in hard mode, after you defeat Bowser, you then have to fight Giga Bowser, who is a giant behemoth, pimped up version of Bowser, who takes up so much of the stage, it was damn near impossible to avoid getting hit by his various attacks. It was it was an incredibly hard trophy to get. And I confess that I never I never got it. Aww. Alec unlocked it on my game when he was he was showing me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he showed me how to do it and he did it. And I was like, there we go, never gonna do that again. Because it, it was it was it was difficult to the point of not being fun. Whereas everything else, like I spoke about Monkey Ball and how like I, I always quite enjoyed just the the quick repeating, reloading of a stage, trying again, trying again and again and again and again. But doing something like Adventure Mode on hard and getting to like the final boss and then having to restart and try again. It was just so soul destroying every time that I was like, well, it's done. It's on my save file. Why not? Let's crack on. But the other trophy, Diskin, was it was a bit more of an obscure trophy. I meant to do some research into actually who or what Diskin is and what game he's from. Look it, so look it up. I'll do that now. Research time. Oh, so he was the mascot for the Famicom. Oh, the, the Famicom disc system. The the separate yeah. one that, oh, that yes. ran the big, massive floppy disc things. Okay. There we go. So he's just a little squat yellow fella with big eyes. But anyway, he was one of the, uh, he was one of the trophies, and it was a much more obscure trophy. And there wasn't just one criteria to unlocking him, not strictly speaking anyway, because in order to get him you needed to have earned all 249 end-of-battle bonuses. Jesus. And some of these bonuses were achieved by fairly straightforward means, like you would get the Bird of Prey bonus for winning a match using only aerial attacks, or the Never Look Back bonus if you go through a whole fight without changing direction. A, a rather nice one was the Switzerland bonus, where you need to go through a battle without attacking anyone and never taking any damage. <laughs> Personal favourite of mine was the Mrs. Saturn bonus, which you get if you held the entirely useless Mr. Saturn item for 30 seconds, uh, which <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I love Mr. Saturn anyway, so I had no problem doing that. So it's only a huge chunk of these bonuses you would end up getting through the course of playing the game, most of which by chance. But there was one that proved to be, I think, the hardest challenge in the game, which was the no damage clear. 
And to get that, you needed to get through the entire of adventure mode without taking a single piece of damage. That's impossible. Well, it's not. That's not possible. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> so obviously, you had to do that on very easy mode. Like that, it was. It, but it was incredibly hard to, to keep up that sort of performance for fifteen rounds of, of varying fights. And there were always just so many little anomalies that would come into play that you, you couldn't foresee. Uh, and that would just sneak in 1% of damage, ruin the whole run. Uh, we found many, many techniques that were quite reliable. One of the best ones was using Donkey Kong and using his down smash to sort of pound the ground. And then anyone who gets within that area of attack would uh, would get hurt before they could get an attack in. And on very easy difficulty, that would be enough to kind of, you know, eventually kill them or get them off the stage. But... That wouldn't work for all battles, and it certainly wouldn't work for the Master Hand fight, who doesn't go on the ground. I reckon I'd stand a better chance of beating Master Hand without taking damage these days now, that I've got used to, you know, the type of pattern recognition Dark Souls drills into you. But when I was a kid, like, I found it damn near impossible to avoid Master Hand's attacks for the whole battle. In incredibly, incredibly tough thing to do, but did eventually do it. Did eventually do it, and uh, that was so rewarding to get Diskin. And uh, yeah, I love that little guy. Oh, can't remember who, which character I did it with at the end. Actually, I think it was. I think I might have ended up just using Link. Link the Jobber. Yeah, because there was also using Jigglypuff. Because Jigglypuff, if you did like the down B move, you would fall asleep. But if you did that whilst your character model was overlapping with another character model, then it would just cause an absurd amount of damage and would really send them flying. And that would often be enough to do it. But again, like you couldn't do that with with master hand so then that, that that approach fell apart but these trophies were just a wonderful thing to have in the game you know you were talking earlier chris about that sense of having a collection yeah. in a game yeah. like in the picross games and and i think the trophy collections in smash brothers are the epitome of that because they not only served as a, uh, a record of your achievements they served as exhibits in the museum of the history of nintendo you know, each trophy was accompanied by a lovely paragraph of flavor text, giving it some context, some history, letting you learn its place in the wider Nintendo canon. And also they were they were really nice and I mean, probably not as high resolution as they were in my mind, but you could you could zoom into them, spin them around, really examine them from all angles. They're beautifully created little 3D models. And it was through the trophies that I learned about so many other games. I think I mentioned before that, I, I mean, I had no idea what Animal Crossing was until I got the Tom Nook trophy. <laughs> and it wasn't just the trophies, just the roster of fighters were there as representatives from the different games and franchises that Nintendo had, many of which I'd never crossed paths with, like like Earthbound and Fire Emblem. And I think even at that point, Metroid. And and, and even though I've, I've never fully submerged myself in the Fire Emblem series, it was entirely down to Melee why I took an affinity towards Roy who, I mean, he always became my go-to fighter in future iterations when, when he did appear. I'm not going to bother talking about the gameplay of the game. You know, Chris and Minty, you both did a great job talking about some different facets of the game when it appeared in, in, in your lists. And also, Smash Brothers is so familiar to so many people that it, it you know doesn't really need another recap. But there are specific things about Melee that have a special place in my memory. And, and even though Smash Ultimate is, you know, I think the ultimate version of this format... It's still not trumped by Melee, even if it were eligible to be in our list. And, and even though Ultimate helped me through an in incredibly tough period of my life, which I you know, recounted in our mental health special last year, there's something about the level of saturation in Ultimate that does dilute a lot of the aspects that were more precious to me in Melee. Yeah. Like, say, like the, the Pokeball items that appear. In Melee, I was seeing Pokemon come to life in a way that was still a real novelty to me. 
Yeah, I didn't have Pokemon Stadium or I didn't have an N64. So I loved seeing Pokemon being animated in 3D. I loved the random nature of what could appear out of the Pokeballs. It made every one, every time, exciting. Like if a Pokeball fell on the stage, it didn't matter what else was going on, I would make a beeline for it to throw it just because I needed to see what was in it. And there were also a couple of modes that I really loved in Melee that sadly haven't made a reappearance in Ultimate one of which has now been rectified in a piece of DLC, which is the home run contest where you beat seven shades of shit out of a sandbag to try and uh, hit it as far as you can. And that was endlessly fun. And it was great to find some really innovative techniques to, to really give that sack a wallop. But the main mode that was missing in Ultimate for me was the target smash mode, which I absolutely loved. So the way it worked was... In, in melee there would be a different level layout for each of the 26 characters and there would be a selection of targets scattered around the level and you would need to utilize all of the movement mechanics and attacks at each character's disposal to hit them all and to reach them all and then you tried to do it as quick as you could and i loved it it was it was really fun to figure them out the first time you do them basically like a puzzle platform game and then you get to refine your technique, try alternate routes until you find the optimum way to dispatch all of the targets as swiftly and as deftly as possible. And among other things, these worked as just great tutorials for each of the characters. It made you get fully acquainted with the full breadth of each one's abilities and made for a much more comprehensible performance as each of them if you then took them into a main smash battle. So this particular game means it means a whole lot to me. It's incredibly fun. It plays so unbelievably well. It clearly holds up today because the formula has barely gone further than a quiet tweak in all of the future versions <laughs> of the game. Yeah. And, you know, I've got some some wonderful memories tied up with the game as well, you know. And, yeah, I guess all of these things add up to make Smash Brothers Melee my 16th favourite video game of all time. Arthur Sense approved. Smash Bros. the series. Yeah. A ringing endorsement. So there we have it, another three games. First of all, we had... Pick Pick on the Nintendo DS. And then we had... Super Paper Mario. And finally, Super Smash Bros. Melee. Three absolutely cracking games, I imagine. I only played one of them, but I've uh, ordered the other two. (laughs) If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, we would love it if you could share the podcast on social media. That's always a really, really big help. You can reach out to us on social media as well. You can chat to us about games that that you're playing. You can take us to task about our opinions on these games. You can even ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode. You can find us on all of these channels. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, Instagram at O3C Podcast, Twitch at O3C Podcast, Facebook.com slash Our Three Cents, or you can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you really fancy doing just a little bit more, a little bit more to show us how much you love us, then please do check out patreon.com slash our three cents. Have a look at some of the perks there and feel free to make just a small, small little pledge. And please do join us next week for our mini boss level, our 15th favourite video games of all time. Oh, it's going to be a good one. They always are. Spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon. What mad universe could contain all these fantastic visions? 
What Mad Universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network. In this quarter, on the Greenlit Podcast Network, Chris Sims and Matt Wilson. And in this quarter, VHS oddities, confusing animation, and modern not-so-classics. Plus snacks, movie fighters. We watch movies and beat them up.